You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. The reading today is Psalm 6, a psalm of David, and can be found on page 433 of the Pew Bubbles. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. G'day everyone, my name's Tim. I'm the senior minister here and I'd love you to keep that Bible passage open because we're going to have a look at it together in a little while. Uh, As Kirk said, we're starting a new series today called In the Valley and we're thinking about emotions and particularly so-called negative emotions. Now, if you're on the podcast, I'm making inverted commas with my fingers around the word negative because they're often perceived as sort of negative emotions, but we want to challenge that perception. There's certainly emotions that are difficult. There are emotions that I guess we experience in tough circumstances in life. And the title, uh, through, the, through the series, we're going to be considering uh, grief, fear, anger, guilt, and despair. And the title for the series comes from uh, Psalm 23, a psalm that may be familiar to some of you. And Psalm 23, verse 4 says this, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Uh, Valleys are dark and gloomy places. Valleys are often cut off from sunlight They've got sheer rock walls on both sides and it can feel like the the walls are closing in on you. They could be cold and isolated. And that sort of valley experience can be what we feel when we go through hard times in life. But Psalm 23 verse 4 also reminds us that God's with us even in the midst of those circumstances. God, who is described in that psalm as a good shepherd, walks with us and protects us and is beside us in the dark valleys of life. Again, something that we want to think about through the series. Now, as we think about difficult emotions, sadly, sometimes churches haven't been great places for dealing with these sorts of tough emotions. Sometimes churches can be um, upbeat, praise the Lord sort of places, or places where 
You kind of feel like you've got to put on a happy Christian face and the fake Christian smile, everything's together, life's great, rather than being a bit more honest about the struggles that you're going through. And because sometimes church feels like in order to be here, you've got to have it all together or you've got to be upbeat and happy, it can actually make it harder for people who are going through tough times. And if that's been your experience, uh, I'm sorry. Because the reality is that every single one of us is struggling. There is no one in this room who has it all together. Life can be really horrible and tough for a lot of us. And it's really good to acknowledge that and not to try and pretend that life's easy or we've got it all together when we haven't. And often, actually, the Bible itself is better at acknowledging the tough stuff than churches have been. Um, It's honest. And the series that we're looking at, we're going to be taking a different psalm every single week. And it's a psalm which really deals with the type of emotion that we're exploring that week. Now, psalms are basically ancient songs. So the book of Psalms is really like an ancient songbook or a hymn book. And there's different types of songs within that book. There's um, thanksgiving songs. There's praise songs. There's songs which kind of are about the best way to do life. But by far the most common type of psalm, the most common song in the book, is what's called a lament. Now that word may not be familiar to you, but a lament is basically a crying out to God in the midst of pain. It's about saying to God, God, I don't get it. I don't like what's happening, and I just don't understand why this is happening. Laments often involve actually shouting at God and shaking a fist at God, saying to God, God, life's miserable, it's unbearable, and I don't understand how you, a so-called loving God, can allow this to be happening in my life. That's what lament is about, that raw honesty with God. And so if at times the church has been reluctant to own that life is difficult, the Bible, let me assure you, hasn't been like that at all. And I really hope that by engaging with these songs and the emotions that we experience in these difficult parts of life, it'll help us to be a bit more honest with each other about the struggles that we're going through. And it'll help us as we draw on sort of wisdom from these ancient writers, what they went through and how they reflect on it, it'll help us as we face difficulties in our own life right now, or if not, that it'll be a way of preparing us for what we may face in the future. None of us knows what tomorrow is going to bring for us, so it's good to prepare ourselves ahead of time. So today we're thinking about grief. Now, this sermon series, this topic has been planned since last year, Uh, and yet God in his timing is speaking to us in the midst of, as a a community, a grief that we're feeling, as we've lost uh, a loved member of our congregation here, Ron Cridland, whose funeral was on Tuesday. There's different definitions of grief, but I reckon a good definition is this, that grief is an intense sadness caused by loss or change. We most often think about grief as the loss that we experience when someone we love dies. 
Uh, and that's real and, and raw, and we feel that. We are feeling that. But grief is much broader than that. If you look at that definition, there's a variety of different types of loss that we can experience in life and change that we can go through. So we can actually grieve things like lost health. Uh, when our health is poor, we can, we can grieve the better health that we used to have. Or as we grow older and we become more frail, we can grieve the fact that our body doesn't do what it used to do. We can grieve as we get closer to our own death what might have been or missed opportunities along the way. Uh, we can experience grief in terms of work, so we can grieve the fact that we've lost a job if we're made redundant. Or even when people retire, there can be a real grief, even though they've come to retirement, but they still grieve the relationships that they don't have anymore. They can grieve the investment in work that they had. We can grieve the loss of a relationship. When a romantic relationship breaks up, there is great grief that we feel at the loss of that. When a marriage ends in divorce, there's, there's grief at the loss of that relationship. We can grieve when uh, kids grow up and leave home, which is a good thing <laughs> and a natural thing, and yet causes a great deal of grief because the house isn't as busy. There's not the dynamic that was there. It's, it's quieter and there's, there's a, a grief at what's been lost. We can grieve things in our life that we never actually had, but we wanted to have. It was a deep desire to have. So we might have this dream that we saw ourselves being married and that didn't happen and there's a great grief in that. Or the great grief of not being able to have children when that was always part of our dreams and our plans. Since grief is a response to, to loss, it's broad-ranging. And even those things that I've listed, don't pretend that that's comprehensive either. There's all sorts of griefs that we experience throughout life. And you shouldn't try and reduce it down or limit it. Even if, as I've just been speaking then, maybe, maybe you've been prompted and you think, that's, that's it. It's been grief that I've been experiencing. I've, I've had this sense of sadness and I wouldn't have put that name to it, but actually, that's what it is. And because grief is so broad, it, it covers a range of losses and a range of change. It means that every single one of us either has already been affected by it, or you will be affected by it in your lives. Now, there's one simple way, one very effective way to avoid grief. I'm going to tell you how to do that right now. Right? If you've got a pen, you might want to write this down because this is the surefire, the only way I can think of to avoid grief in your life. You ready? You must never love. You must never love anyone and you must not love anything if you want to avoid grief. Here's what the writer C.S. Lewis had to say on this. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. 
If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. To love is to be vulnerable. To love is to expose ourselves to the possibility of grief. But never loving anyone, never loving anything, it's not really a possibility at all. Uh, C.S. Lewis, who wrote this, was no stranger to grief. He was uh, unmarried for most of his life and then met uh, a woman called Joy Davidman, who he happily married, and yet after four years of marriage, she died of cancer. And as he reflected on his own experience of grief, he he wrote it down. Uh, It's called A Grief Observed. It's his own reflections on his own experiences of grief. And it's a really powerful read, and I'd encourage you to read it uh, as you reflect on your own experiences of grief. So with that intro to grief, let's dive into the Bible passage for today. Psalm 6, it's on page 433, if you want to follow that along in the blue Bibles in front of you. Psalm 6 is called an individual lament. That is, it's a person, in this case David, calling out to God because of what's happening in their own personal circumstances in life. Now, you might ask as you look at it, and you heard John reading it, Tim, is this, is this psalm really about grief? It's a good question. The nature of lament psalms is that they're non-specific. They don't spell out in exact detail what the person is going through. So you won't find a lament psalm, for example, that says, God, why is my top rear right molar aching so much? And so because they're more general, people try and sort of work out, reading between the lines, what's actually going on for the person. Now, the fact that they're more general is good for us because it means that they apply to a greater range of circumstances that we might go through in life. So we can adopt them to our own particular circumstances, whereas if they were super specific, you might say, oh, well, that's not my exact situation, so it doesn't apply. Uh, Lots of people would say that Psalm 6 is about sickness, Reading through the descriptions here, people say, well, I think the writer was quite sick and facing death, and they're crying out to God in the midst of that, which could be true. But as we've seen, sickness itself and facing death is a source of grief often for us, and if that's the case, um, then it is about grief. But I think the language here is more general, and it's equally expressive of other types of grief as well. Have a think and pull out how David describes his circumstances. So in verse 2, he says, Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. He's describing physical symptoms, faintness, pain. It could be sickness, but grief also manifests itself in external symptoms as well, physical symptoms. So we use the language of our heart being broken and having heartache, but 
we actually feel that. That's actually physical within us. It does feel like our heart is literally breaking sometimes. And when we call to mind people that we've loved and lost, often our stomach can clench and a chill can go down our spine. Our mind can race and we can't stop it racing and our heart speeds up to match our mind. This is what 32-year-old Amy writes about her grief after she lost her good friend Molly. Early grief was intensely physical for me. After the shock and adrenaline of the first weeks wore off, I went through a couple of months of extreme fatigue with nausea, headaches, food aversion, mixed up sleep cycles, dizziness and sun sensitivity. It was extremely difficult to do anything. If there's one thing I want people to know about grief, it's how awful it can make your body feel. And David also describes other more familiar physical symptoms in verse 6. I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. Crying is a, is a natural and a normal response to grief. And David here says he's weeping so much he can't stop crying that his bed's almost floating on the top of his tears. That's how much he's cried. Um, when my granddad died... Um, Anna and I had been married for only a few years when he died and I remember being in our unit that we were living in at the time and I just broke down sobbing and couldn't stop. It was like my body just took over and did its thing. I just cried and cried and cried and it was the way of my body processing what I was feeling at losing my granddad, getting it out through those tears so grief is, grief is very physical, it's very bodily, it's external, but it's also internal and emotional and psychological. Verse 3, my soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? David here describes intense internal pain, the soul, the inner part, the, the very centre of our being, he says, is in anguish, he's in such deep pain. It's ripping him apart from the inside. It's intense and it's also ongoing. How long, Lord? How long? Grief is not something that you just quick, oh, get over it, like that. It goes on for weeks and for months and for years. There's no neat formula for grief. And often when people return to a state of normality, sort of getting back into the swing of things again, sometimes you get this wave of grief which knocks you off your feet, like getting dumped in the surf emotionally. And you sort of think, where did that come from? I thought I'd processed a lot of this stuff, but it just comes back and hits you. Um, over the last couple of weeks, as I've been uh, thinking about Ron's death and... Uh, preparing for his funeral, I've been thinking a lot about other people from this church who I've loved and have died. And it's sort of come back and hit me again, the grief of their loss amidst grieving Ron's passing as well. And grief's like that. And this cry, how long God, is a really common expression 
in the Psalms. God, how long is this going to go on for? And it shows us why lamenting is such an act of faith. Sometimes people think if you complain to God, if you cry out to God and tell him that you're not happy, then that's a sign that you're somehow lacking faith. And that's, that's just not true. Because what you're doing by crying out to God is you're turning to God, you're turning to the one that you know can actually do something about it, turning to the one who can help you, and you're, you're telling him about it. You're, you're facing God rather than facing away from him. And asking the question, how long, presumes that God can do something about it, that God will do something about it. And so why, God, aren't you doing it quicker? How long? Get on with it. Come on, God, I can't put up with this any longer. But it's faith filled by doing that because you're asking God to act and recognizing that he can and he will. And David does this, but he not only expresses it in kind of an anguished cry, but he actually asks God to act. Verse 2, have mercy on me, Lord. Verse 4, turn God and deliver me, save me because of your unfailing love. He recognizes God's character, that God's a God of mercy, that God's a God of love, and so who God is should mean that he's going to act and to help him, and he calls on who God is to help him in the midst of the grief. And by the end of the psalm, when he gets to the end, he has a sense that God's heard him, that God has answered this prayer. So in verse 8, the Lord has heard my weeping. Verse 9, the Lord has heard my cry for mercy and accepts my prayer. He's confident by the end of this that, that God is for him and he's listened to his cries. And you often see this sort of movement through the Lament Psalms. They start out with this anguished cry to God and then they move to asking God to help. And then by the end, they come to a position of, of trust or confidence, a settled position with God that they've been heard. Now, this is only 10 verses long, this psalm, but let's not pretend that this is a quick process. Right, this is a song. This is a poem. This is like a condensed summary of the process. But it probably went on for weeks and months and years before David could get to this point of being confident that God had heard him. And notice too that it's not all neatly resolved at the end either. So the final verse, verse 10, is framed in the future. God will deal with David's enemies. He's reached this point of confident trust in God, but he's still waiting for God to finish the job. So there's heaps of stuff in, verse, in uh, Psalm 6 that can help us as we process our own grief. But whenever you read a passage in the Old Testament, whenever you read a passage in the first part of the Bible, the, the part before the coming of Jesus, you've got to keep reading. Because the, the Bible as a whole tells a story. It's a story of how God deals with the world and deals with us as people. And the centre and the climax of the story is Jesus. So you need to read forward when you're in the Old Testament to ask the question, 
Well, how does the coming of Jesus impact our understanding of this? What does Jesus teach us about grief? How does his life and his death and his resurrection help us with our grief? And when you look at the life of Jesus, you see that he too experienced grief. The most obvious example that I can think of is when his good friend Lazarus dies. And we get the shortest verse in the whole Bible describing Jesus' emotions. John 11, 35, Jesus wept. The loss of his friend means that he, he weeps. Right? Jesus just didn't sort of sail through life emotionally disconnected. He felt pain, he felt sorrow, and he shed tears over it. And it's great because Jesus' reaction normalises and affirms our emotions of grief. Right? If, if Jesus is God himself, God who's come in human form, the perfect human, the model for us of what humanity is to look like, and Jesus grieved and he wept and he cried and he felt the loss of loved ones who had gone, then it says our emotional reactions are good and right that we feel like that when we suffer loss. And what's more, Jesus weeps even though he's just about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Like, he's about to bring him back to life, and yet he still weeps. And through the raising of Lazarus from the, from the dead, it's, it's a sign, it's a pointer to Jesus' own victory over death that he will come back to life, he'll be risen from the dead and defeat death through his own resurrection. See, there's a big difference between what David writes in the psalm and what we know as followers of Jesus. Do you notice that David says this in verse 5 of Psalm 6? Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? In his mind, death cuts off relationship with God. That's the end. There's nothing beyond that. But Jesus, by his own resurrection from the dead, offers hope to us that there is something beyond the grave. It's beautifully expressed in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is what Paul writes. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of humankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. For those who trust in Jesus, there is hope beyond the grave. There's hope beyond death because Jesus himself has passed through death and risen to life and he's promised that those who trust in him, he will raise them too. He's promised that he's gone to prepare a place for us and that we will be reunited with those we love who have trusted in him which doesn't mean that we don't still feel sad. And it doesn't mean that we don't still grieve. Notice what this doesn't say and what it does say. This does not say, therefore, Christians don't grieve anymore. It doesn't say that. It says that we don't grieve in the same way that the rest of humankind who don't have the hope that we have. So we still have 
the pain of lost loved ones. We still weep. There's still the break of relationship. It still hurts like crazy. But it's grief mingled with hope. That death isn't the end. That Jesus has won the victory. That Jesus will take us to be with him and that we will be reunited with those who have died trusting in Jesus. So how do we deal with our grief? How do you deal with the grief that you're currently experiencing? Firstly, don't be afraid to cry out to God and to tell him exactly how you're feeling. You can use Psalm 6 or one of the other lament psalms as your model that this is okay to do this. You could pray it as it is, as your cry to God. Even better, perhaps, you could rewrite it to personalise it and to express more precisely exactly what it is that you are feeling. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I'm, I'm tired and I'm sick with grief. I can't sleep, my mind's racing, it feels like my heart is breaking inside me from the pain. Heal me, Lord, for my body and my soul are in agony. Don't be worried that you might offend God. Don't think that you'll be somehow failing God by expressing how you feel to him. You're not going to shock God or surprise him. See, the thing is, God knows everything. God knows our hearts. God knows the emotions that we're experiencing already. And so by putting it into words and telling God, we're just being honest with him and calling out to him. God wants us to do that, to to pound our fists on his chest. He's big enough and he's strong enough that he can handle it. Secondly, don't be afraid to ask for help and be willing to receive help when it's offered to you. Talk to friends, talk to family about how you're feeling. Be open about the grief that you're experiencing. Life groups are a brilliant place where in a trusted space you can actually be honest about the things that you're grieving. Later in the service, our prayer ministry team is going to be available as well, and you might need that space tonight. You might need to just say, guys, I'm really struggling with grief and I would love you to just pray into that with me. They'll do that. Um, They'd love to do that with you. It may be that you might need to seek some more professional help. You might be struggling with your grief in such a way that you think it's just, it's stopping me actually getting on with life and it'd be really helpful to talk to someone and get some strategies about how I might deal with that. Um, Beyond Blue's website has some great resources. We've printed out some physical copies on the table out there which just has some you know, good advice about how to do things and some numbers to call if you'd like to speak to someone. Thirdly, take care of your physical and your emotional health. Like we've seen tonight that grieving is, is physical. It affects every part of our bodies. And so taking care of how we eat and exercising and giving ourselves time to sleep is really important in the midst of grief. Don't be afraid to sort of ease off on things and say, no, I'm not going to do that at the moment. But at the same time, don't 
disconnect yourself fully from other people because we need to stay connected. And even sometimes when we don't feel like doing things that used to be sources of enjoyment, it can be good to actually push on and, and try some of those things even in the midst of our grief. Lastly, remember that an end to grief is coming. Again, as you keep reading forward through the Bible, right near the end in the book of Revelation, we're given a vision from God of what the future will hold when Jesus returns. And we read these words in Revelation 21, verse 4. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. A future is coming where Jesus is going to complete the work that he started. And as we grieve, it actually draws our mind forward to say to God, God, I want you to do that. I want you to bring that future into a reality. Jesus, I'm sick of all the pain and the death and the loss. Please come back. Please wipe my tears away yourself and put an end to the death and the mourning that affects us so much. Almost the last words of the Bible are this prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. It's a way of saying, please, finish the good work that you've started. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that part of how you've made us as human beings is you've made us people who love, that that's a core to who we are as humans. And we thank you for this good gift. But with love comes pain and loss and grief. And so we pray that in the midst of our grief, that you would comfort us by your Holy Spirit, that you'd strengthen and help us, and that you'd bind us together with other people, that we might be able to help and strengthen one another in the midst of grief. And we do pray, Jesus, please come back. Please finish the good work that you have done. Put an end to the pain and the mourning and the grief that we experience. And we long for the day that you've made all things new and we're reunited with all of those who have died trusting in you. So we pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek. If you have any questions about this podcast, send us an email, questions at stjohnsdc.org.au. 